Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here not just with one, but two incredible guests, Elisa Romeo. Yeah, Romeo. Elisa mm-hmm. <laughs> Romeo and Adam Foley. Hello, you two. Welcome Hi. to the show. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Sorry. I know it's tricky. It's the Italian confusion. I know. <laughs> We were joking before the show. That's why we're laughing right now before we hit record. So, Alisa. you know, we just we just recorded our audio book and I, we oh, had a wow. lot of that experience of what you just were experiencing, where it was like, you know, you read a word or it'll come to someone's name and then we'll be like, oh, is this it? And we'd psych ourselves out. And it's mm-hmm. like you do so many mm-hmm. takes. It's just funny when you I had to say, say Pierre de, <laughs> Tiar de Chardin, yeah. like a hundred times <laughs> and I never got it right. <laughs> we're like, you know. Oh, the French yeah. philosopher just yeah. trust that us. Guy. Still that, guy, right? <laughs> that one guy, that really smart guy. Mm. <laughs> yes, I. That's sometimes you got to hire a professional for those things. But I applaud you for for narrating your own. Well, we understand book. why now people do, but it, yeah. <laughs> we really understand now. Learn the hard but way. I think for us, it was so important for it to be our voices because this book is meant to not just be information. It's meant to be a transmission. And so there was a part of us, I think our souls that just didn't feel good about the words being spoken through somebody else in that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, no, I get it. I love it when the author does read it because they have the emphasis that they meant to put in the writing itself. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners who don't know, Alisa Romeo is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the author of Meet Your Soul, a powerful guide to connect with your most sacred self. So hello again, Alisa. Welcome to the show. Hi. And Adam Foley is a certified somatic practitioner and yoga instructor who uses spiritual coaching, somatic healing, and his own intuitive abilities to connect people to their soul. So hello again, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hello. And Elisa and Adam are the authors of Holy Love, the Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships. As married parents of two, Elisa and Adam use practical stories from the trenches of everyday life, their personal spiritual experiences, and examples from their work with thousands of couples to teach sacred partnerships. And they themselves host the popular spiritual podcast, Holy and Human. How are you both today? We're good. good. Excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here too. I'm so ready for this very holy interview. Your book (laughs) is Holy Love. Your website and podcast is Holy and Human. So I think we have to start out with this term. What does holy mean to you? Yeah, well, we knew that the term holy is has a lot of connotations for people and that there can be a lot of religious history on it. But We consciously chose that and with pairing it with love for our title, because what we wanted to do was we wanted to reacquaint people with the potential of what love can be 
and also reacquaint ourselves with the true nature of love. Mm. And we really see love as a holy thing that love is our access point to the divine. And Mm. so our whole book is really about how do you activate that within your relationships and our podcast title, that holy and human, those two things paired together. What we really wanted to make room for was this truth that we all have a holy part, but we also all have a human part and that both are equally important and we need to be loving and caring to our messy and real human part and real with where we're at and real with our emotions and, and, but then also stay connected to that holy part in ourselves. Hmm. I love that. I love your mission in the world. You want to reacquaint people with the potential of what love can be and the true nature of love. And you mentioned this word, the divine. We're talking about this word, holy. And what do you say to people who have certain resistance to these terms? Our whole book has no dogma or any rules involved with it. And so our whole approach is we don't want to tell our listeners or readers what is true. We want them to discover that for themselves. So Mm. all of our inquiries and meditations are either self-focused or work with a partner, but it's all about connecting to your soul. Mm. And we see soul as that inner voice of wisdom, of that guide that is smarter than our ego often, that has access to more knowledge. So we really believe that learning about spirituality through words and concepts doesn't integrate well. Mm -hmm. And the only way to really integrate spiritual information is through having your own direct experiences. So that's mm. that's where we really focus on that. And love is one of those words that it's like everyone might agree. Yeah, love's great. Sign me up for love. But <laughs> what we we see love as a, an energy field that you can tap in and access. So it's it's when you join, it's a particular energy mm. and it's a different energy than the energy of projection. And a lot of times people are in a projective experience and interpreting it as love. And that's why people become cynical or resistant or traumatized because the history of their lives might show them, well, I thought that was love. Mm. And guess what? That did not turn out good or, you know, And so then they're disappointed in love, Mm. but never really necessarily understanding psychologically what was happening there within that experience of maybe there was egoic inflation. Maybe there was unconscious wounding attachment wounds going on. So um, so I think all all our work is about discernment, Mm -hmm. about identifying what energy is happening. What is love and what what is love and what and what isn't Mm. love so that we can kind of have the map. To come home. Mm. You've probably heard that phrase that love reveals everything that is not love. You know yeah. what? I love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. That that is we really find that to be true. When we bring in love energetically at a retreat, for example, the first thing usually out of the person will be anywhere the ego is resistant or scared mm. to Are that wounded. of that energy mm-hmm. where the trauma has been. And then holding that with love and allowing a long process for that to have its natural birthing experience. Mm. But often it's met with tears, anger, (laughs) all the emotions that we've held throughout our lifetime with our complicated relationship with love. And we opened the book saying that we soon learn that love is as complicated as relationships are. Mm -hmm. And so it can get really easy to associate love with past relationships, with the complexities of that. So we're, you know, we, we, 
can settle for being partly in relationship to love, but still protecting ourselves to some degree. And so a lot of that comes up, like you said, big love reveals everything. Mm-hmm. I, I know I didn't quote that correctly, but <laughs> uh, it, that it it does reveal all those resistances. And so a lot of people, when they hear the word holy love, think that this is like a romantic, like mystical fairy tale type of potential. But really what it is, is it's, it's a lot of real work and mm-hmm. becoming really radically honest with where you're at and what you need to heal. Mm. And it's kind of like the Adyashanti quote, like we don't need to do anything to become awakened. We just need to stop bullshitting ourselves. <laughs> we see that like love too. You don't have to do something to chase or find love. We just need to stop the egoic monkey mind that's blocking us from our egoic separation Mm -hmm. from love. And then we start to come into the miracles that are surrounding us. It's not just an intimate relationship, but with our children or our friendships or strangers, even are we relating to them as egos or are we connecting to the soul, the miracle, the eternal unconditional love in each other. And then everything becomes almost like a ridiculous miracle. And we know how that can sound like a big promise, but it is Mm. really (laughs) available. I think that's what's insane is that we all have access to, it's like we're sitting at this buffet of riches and and not many people are eating. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've brought a whole lot in already. (laughs) (laughs) So many directions we can take it, but I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier, Alyssa, around how when you get people in touch with love, we want to find that discernment between what you call the projection experience, which I think is often, you know, people fall in love and they say they found the perfect person, right? And this highly idealistic, and then they realize nobody's perfect. And this person has just as many fears and worries and emotions that we have. So tell me more about what this projection experience is. That's exactly it. It's Brittany and Justin in the 90s and their matching denim outfits. Oh, wow. That's (laughs) being asked on the red carpet. So how do you know when it's love? And Brittany wide eyed saying, when you know, you just know, right? Because in that moment, that that was it. That was the fairy tale. They thought they were on the height of like, this is the greatest love story of all time. We have matching dem- denim jumpsuits. Like, what else do we need? They're bedazzled. But so real love is matching. <laughs> so basically it's just outfit choices. <laughs> um, but but then it was projective, and that if anyone remembers what happened, you know, it didn't end well or with a lot of love in terms of how that uh separation happened. Um So that, and my background's in Jungian psychology, the work of Carl Jung. I don't know if you know Marion Woodman's work, um, but it's a lot about withdrawing projections. So it's kind of about when you're in a projection, it can feel like love. Mm -hmm. So it can be really hard to be like, because you feel inflated, you've got all the oxytocin and the dopamine. And it's like, I feel met for the first time. And then if that crashes because it wasn't actually being integrated or sustained with some true connection Mm -hmm. of like what was really happening energetically, then it really can be a whiplash situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so real love for us is the most sustainable thing. It's not flimsy. It's something that is even beyond this lifetime. We also do spiritual mediumship work Mm -hmm. and we don't even talk about that in the book, but 
one way we know love is from spirits talking about that eternal part of them that still loves, even though they're not physically here, Mm -hmm. like the body and the ego are gone, but yet there is a love that remains. So that has informed our understanding of even how we see each other of like, where is the part of us that's ego that might have needs and desires and wants. And where's the part of us that is connecting or loves each other eternally. I think the phrasing you used with your question was good. And in, in that we're, we're often searching for the perfect person. Mm-hmm. And then when that person is imperfect, like all of us, <laughs> then I think we can start believing that love is imperfect, that love is not wholly sustainable in and of itself. And so in a way we're searching for this perfect love. Mm-hmm. I think that we are all born with a longing to really experience love. And if that's in intimate relationship, or if that's with our children, or if that's with our friends, or if that's by ourselves, I think that we all have that longing, mm-hmm. be connected to that perfect love. But then often when we get glimpses of love through an imperfect person, we start believing that love itself is full of compromises. Mm-hmm. And so we were asked recently in an interview, what Uh, we thought the biggest cause of relationships to fail was, and I Mm. said projections. So there's lots of different types of projections. So there's the romantic projection that Elisa was talking about. And romantic projection is when we project that vision on somebody and we think that they are going to solve all our problems. And, you know, we see a lot of that, that a lot of that is encouraged through romantic movies of us believing in this fairy tale. Uh, but there's also negative projections. Uh, so projections is basically all of our unconscious content that we haven't dealt with yet. And then we see mm-hmm. that in another person. So that can also show up like if a husband has considered cheating on his wife, he may suddenly be highly suspicious that his wife is cheating on him because he has a guilt that he's projecting mm-hmm. on her. And so he can't really see her. And so that's what taking projections off of the relationship does is it's, can you really Mm. see the person in front of you? Can you really see them for who they are on a soul level and also where they're at as on an ego level and where they're at emotionally and just see them for who they are. Whenever there's projection in relationship, it will cause alienation and isolation to some extent because we will be having a false relationship. We're actually having a relationship with a part of ourselves, like our guilt or our shame or our wound through that person instead of having real emotional contact with them. And it's also like on a continuum. It's not like projections Mm -hmm. are a bad thing. They're a useful thing because- Everybody has projections. We all have projections. Like we still have projections in our relationships. So it's not like projections are bad. It's unconscious projections can block the connection. So it's Mm -hmm. about kind of being in a relationship Mm -hmm. with your projections. So let's talk about- these levels to our experience that I'm hearing from you, because I'm hearing talk about kind of the ego-based level of, I might put projection in this category, sort of temporary condition-based love and pleasure. And then both of you have been mentioning a deeper level to our experience, one that's longer lasting. You even mentioned the word eternal. So as long as lasting as things can get. And And then Adam, you mentioned really seeing the person in front of you on a soul level. And you also written that we are souls on a human path, right? So what is this deeper 
soul eternal level and how can we get in touch with it yeah i love the two terms of conditional love and unconditional love Mm. we we play with that a lot because for me holy love Mm. is unconditional love and so you can see it as simple as that but the reason why we didn't call our book unconditional love (laughs) is because it's not a (laughs) sex well there's that too (laughs) but uh because i think many people don't really know or have experienced a full awareness moment of Mm. unconditional love. Because what unconditional love really means is without conditions that we love, love this person, no matter what is going on with that person. And that doesn't mean that we have to be with that person our entire lives, or we have to enable addiction or, you know, abuse or anything like that. It doesn't mean that you need, there's no shoulds that are attached to unconditional love in a relationship, mm-hmm. but it is more reacquainting yourself with, can you for a moment really sit with somebody and really open up to that unconditional mm-hmm. part in each other that loves that person? Absolutely. One uh, exercise we often do with couples is to imagine if they were in a coma and they couldn't speak and they couldn't have actions, you know, you can't, so you're not loving them for their words or their actions towards you. Can you still connect to their essence? Mm -hmm. What is uniquely them? What makes them uniquely them? And so why I led with that is because we see that as the soul. Mm -hmm. What is it that makes you uniquely you and me uniquely me? And what is our unique flavor of love? How are we going to show up in a relationship differently and still just as magnificently? So that's the soul nature. So we see everybody's soul as having a unique personality and a unique flavor. And we all have an ego Mm -hmm. and we all have a soul. And the ego is who we think we are. The ego is our personality. The ego is our past belief systems that, you know, we may have gone from our upbringing. Ego is cultural influences. But the soul is that still small voice that if you stop for a second and if you are in an untriggered state and can connect to who you are on an essence level, that is the soul. So all of our work in relationship is working on where, seeing where there's conditional love on that ego level mm-hmm. and then using exercises and techniques to see if you can access that unconditional soul to soul connection. I love that. And I'm kind of curious how this soul level works cosmologically. So, for example, I had a feeling I was like, you know, his background's in East West. He might have some questions about maybe duality or what we mean by spirit and soul, because I think we use those terms, you know, I think more of like a Buddhist or um, many Eastern approaches are more kind of like release attachments so that you can be come out of the karmic loop Mm -hmm. to kind of join into that unconditional all is one nirvana place, whatever we're calling it, depending on what religion we're focusing on. Whereas our work is more kind of in the tradition of the divine feminine of it's not that everything in the physical world is lesser or to be um, admonished uh, or to be transcended. It's about instead of enlightenment, it's about enlivenment. So it's about trusting the inherent reality that we are souls having a human Mm -hmm. experience and that's not lesser or just messy 
it's some it's something that has the goddess in it mm -hmm. so it's not just not god right because usually we see things as god or not god but we're seeing it as well what about the goddess the birthing mm. form and the love within form that is purposeful and not just to be minimized as less spiritual and one of my clients was in a spiritual commune where uh, the celibates were at the highest level of spirituality, right? And it's like, you can't get a uh, uh, move up on the hierarchy if you're doing such dirty, busy things as attaching mm -hmm. to humans, because that would just be egoic. But I feel like that model doesn't really understand what the soul is and what the feminine is. One way it was really pointed out to me is I once had a woman whose newborn baby died mm. and she was Buddhist. And she was like, you know, the messaging around her is like she needed to get over it and kind of she was interpreting her grief as less spiritual because she was attached. Mm -hmm. And that just really broke my heart because I find in many ways there's no greater love than that love of the mother archetype mm. that is unconditional and is fighting for the baby to come down the birth canal and using everything within her to experience and meet that life. And it's not an experience of it's all good, whether you live or die in the birth canal, I'm going to be kind of, you know, finding my inner peace and connection on a spirit level. Mm -hmm. um, that's also true that if we die, we can find each other in consciousness and eternity. But also there is a desire for the celebration in form. And I think physical. also with that mother metaphor, there's a unique love for that child. And so it's not like I love all child, all children, <laughs> you know, in the, in that moment. And, but through that unique love, can it be so powerful that they are connecting to a love that is greater than the sum of their parts mm -hmm. and connected to a greater picture that ultimately connects them to a love that's connected to everybody. But I think we first need to recognize the unique nature of mm -hmm. each other. I love that. And it's very Jungian, right? No greater love yeah. than the mother archetype. And it's true, there is kind of the Eastern or Buddhist view of the soul as that which undergoes the process of karma and reincarnation. But then we have like the more Christian view that we are souls in this universe is kind of a test. And then after our current life, our soul is for an eternity in some idea of a heaven or a hell. And my experience with Adam was a reunion from previous lifetimes. Mm. So it's like, I have my own past lifetime memories and experiences. I did not believe in past <laughs> lives till I had my memories of them, you know? So wow. there's kind of what I knew when I actually met Elisa, I, I had more of a Buddhist philosophy, mm -hmm. uh, because it, it seemed to make the most sense to me rationally. When I looked at all the religions, I and was a like, little atheist. yeah, and uh, yeah, there was that too. <laughs> but, uh, what surprised me when I met her is I had a spiritual awakening when I met her. And what the things that shocked mm. me is I had past life memories, which came out of nowhere. I mean, I lived in India for a while, so I was, I was accustomed to the idea, but I had not accepted it. And so that shocked me. And then also I had this experience. <laughs> all the things that yeah. shocked us. Yeah, this could be not? a long interview. <laughs> I was just going to say one more thing. And the other thing that shocked me is I had a out-of-body experience where I felt like I was 
meeting the divine and and what and within it and what i felt from that was that it was just a field of unconditional love mm. that it was just a place a energetic state of unconditional love so after that that's when i really realized i said oh the the better that we can access unconditional love down here the more we are connected to what is ultimate reality mm. and when i was at Speaking of shocking things that have happened to us, when I was at Pacifica Graduate Institute and I had ha my out-of-body experience was, uh, I mean, first shocking, okay, I'm existing as consciousness and I'm seeing my physical body beneath me. I can see my face and my turquoise shirt. And then a shocking realization, oh, I'm going to exist without my body, mm, which mm -hmm. I had mixed feelings about <laughs> what, 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 how did I, that's a shocking thing. And then being pulled into this love, which was my soul and having mm. what many people will call a life review, which is like a movie of your life that's technicolor, but also from the experience of everyone else in each moment of the interactions of your life. So it's kind of a expanded understanding of your ego, um, what your ego's narrative was at the time. So, um, that has really impacted yeah how i see ego and soul and then after that experience i was feeling everyone's soul having things they mm. wanted me to say to the ego in front of me um which was a really interesting experience that took a while to integrate a whole year of kind of struggling with that of how to be with that because i had been trained as a therapist but then i was having these kind of psychic information coming through and then this do i share this and then i slowly got out of my way and started saying the things i was receiving mm -hmm. and people would look at me like how do you know that and mm. like i've never said that to anybody and then it goes right into a divinity question right of like what is this place <laughs> what's mm -hmm. the setup what's the rules to the monopoly game um but what i saw from my life review was true success and happiness really just has to do with our alignment with that part of ourselves that knows why we are here in this lifetime. And it's a different thing for everybody. That's why there's no rules. It's not, there's one way to do life, right? It's really like, what is your soul doing right now in this moment and trying to experience or ha actualize love in a particular way? Mm. I love what you just said. I'm going to repeat it. True success and happiness has to do with alignment with that part of ourselves that knows why we are here in our lifetime. And I want to ask you more questions about unconditional love. But before that, I have a quick question to Adam, because I was curious when you mentioned when you met Alyssa, you had your spiritual awakening. And mm -hmm. was that was she the catalyst? Or was this like you met at the same, you know, experience or ceremony yeah and your first story was yeah. the india story mm -hmm. too because he had some yeah. openings before that yeah so uh it was a slow progression you know i think we have uh spiritual awakenings but then there's the preparation for the awakening and then the integration afterwards you know uh so part of my story is when I was 15, I lived in India and there was a oh, wow. terrorist attack that was a few houses down from where I was staying. And so I witnessed the whole thing and there was um, many people who died there. It was a bombing during a Muslim holiday that was from Hindu extremists. 
And uh, that was a shattering experience for me where I really went into sort of an existential place of really, really questioning, like, how can there be a divine? How can there be unconditional love when there's so much hatred and suffering? So that experience, I think, prepped me for meeting Elisa. It was the path that made me ready for really craving something deeper contact with something deeper in life something that really felt like true with a capital t but when i met elisa it it was absolutely the catalyst that out of body experience that i mentioned was we went on a walk and uh, we s- started shaking and it was actually at one moment I, I brushed up against her <laughs> arm. I was walking next to her and we started shaking and I didn't know why. And then I realized it was the trauma of not remembering the pat my past lives and the trauma of not remembering who I really was. Wow. And it was at that point that, I fell down on the ground and this was like in a public place. It was not what I wanted to be doing (laughs) at all. And that's when I had my out-of-body experience. So yes, that was through Elisa and my past life memories were with her. So we've, we've been, we've been doing this type of work together for many lifetimes. Mm. Wow. It's a powerful story. And what were you doing in India at 15? Were your parents living there? (laughs) Good question. I went on an exchange, a student exchange program. I was pretty much an orphan growing up. I had a family, but they were emotionally disconnected. So Mm -hmm. after that terrorist attack happened, um, everybody wanted me to come home. Uh, But, you know, there wasn't there wasn't really a family that was really trying to bring me home. Mm. I actually got a call from the U.N. at one point. And what happened after the blast is a bunch of news teams came in to cover the story And then they started interviewing me because I was the only American that had lived in this uh, town for since anybody could remember. And so suddenly I got kind of the spotlight of this terrorist attack within this political situation I barely understood. And so and I, I made a I preached a little of a peaceful message at and I didn't know really what I was stepping into, but, and then I got a call from the UN and they said, you actually are a target for an upcoming terrorist attack Mm. and you need to leave India. And, but at that point I was really trapped in this PTSD survivor's guilt existential state. Wow. And I, and I really felt like I couldn't go back home partly because of my family life, but also because a question had been awoken in me that felt like I desperately needed an answer. So I actually left the exchange program and I just traveled for the rest of the year. Homeless through India at 15 (laughs) following gurus. And and studied with some (laughs) spiritual teachers there and yeah, did some of my yoga training there as well. Wow. That's incredible. (laughs) So Thanks for filling in those details. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a there's so much story. more. So much there's more. a lot. There's but a let's lot go back to this amazing yeah. concept of unconditional love. As you mentioned earlier, one way to think about holy love is unconditional love. And I think we all like this idea. Uh, many people want to practice it, but when the going gets tough, that's when it gets really hard, right? Like I could experience 
unconditional love for you if you weren't being such a jerk right now, right? Like, <laughs> and you know what? How do we tap more into this unconditional love? This is the dichotomy, right? Holy and human, right? Feeling this divine, unconditional part of us, but then getting down to the brass tacks of being in relationships with another human being. And maybe I'll just start with saying, like, do you feel unconditional love for each other at all times, no matter what? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, holy love is a map and mm. it's a super useful map because it gives you the wording to be able to navigate that exact challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Of we, we have a method we call the four spiritual relationships. So we'll use our relationship as an example of how it works, but it's basically like in our relationship, there's four relationships happening. So it's, it's not just Adam and Elisa. It's that's one of them. That's the ego to ego relationship mm. of like Elisa's in a crabby mood because she didn't get sleep and needs a good burrito that is not available in Seattle and only in the mission in San Francisco. This is literally a problem I have. Um, it's, a, it's a serious food problem makes in our me relationship. Yeah. Cranky <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so maybe I'm in a bad mood. So Adam, you know, he could I walk in the door and I say something crabby and then it, that could activate his own issues. And now we're in a little game we like to call your trauma hurt my feelings where we're just going back and forth from that energy level. It's kind of like Einstein's. You can't solve a problem from the energy level in which it's created. And that's kind of what happens in most relationships is we're playing a ping pong game of ego to ego. But we also talk about ego as a necessary part. It's not just lower. It's about good reflective listening and good therapeutic communication skills. It's learning all the good boundaries, right? Mm. So it's all the kind of psychological health that a healthy ego has because we don't talk about it in the yoga terms of like annihilate the ego it's more of like the Jungian idea of uh, a healthy ego that's not splintered or fractured mm -hmm. um so inner child work to repair old wounds things like that so healthy functioning ego that's the ego to ego relationship and then there's the second relationship which is the inner relationship from your ego to your soul so that's a little bit of the starting to enter into thy will be done we're going to have something outside of our ego that is greater that is divine that we're starting to build a relationship with and learn to trust so that it's not some amorphous change in concept that's intellectual but we're really meeting that part of ourselves and technically that looks like going from beta to theta state in your brain so that you can raise on the consciousness elevator to even be able to access that part. And that's about practice because it takes practice to do that well and consistently so that if Adam and I are in a ping pong game, I've built that muscle so that I can ask Sophia, my soul, what's going on with Adam right now, or what's going on with me right now that I'm getting so offended. And now I have a different relationship to talk and to trust, to kind of get a different viewpoint because I've raised the vibration around the question. And then the third relationship is ego to their soul. So now what is Lisa's understanding of Adam as a soul? How mm -hmm. is that relationship going? In the example of you being anxious about something, I can either take Elisa at face value and start reacting to that anxiety, or I can take a moment and ask intuitively what's going on with Elisa. Uh, and I can ask her soul intuitively. That. And I'm so grateful Adam is a rock star at that because he really helps me if, because to answer your original question, do we live in constant unconditionality? I think we're pretty high up there. Well, I, but would, I would say it like this is because I think this is an important 
reframe for people is I don't think that we either we are either in unconditional love or conditional love. I think we are either consciously aligned with unconditional love or not aligned with it. So the feelings in relationship mm. of um, like I am alone, I am isolated, or like if a wound comes up, that for me could be a time that I'm disconnected from unconditional love. There's definitely times you know, all the time where I'm not connected to Elisa's unconditional love for me, if I'm stressed out or if, you know, like on a receiving level, on a receiving level. And I think that's actually true for, for all relationships. And I know that it may seem uh, radical to say we can have unconditional love with like a stranger, the barista at a cafe, but it's, can you align with that part where there is unconditional love between these two souls meeting, even if it's briefly for a moment. And what I was going to say earlier is the reason I think we're in a pretty high level of like noticing it is because our egos are wired. Our personalities are wired, I think, because of our mission in this lifetime and our previous lifetimes around really paying attention. And if we are feeling unconditionality, it's immediately a conversation and it's not something that goes silent and repressed for a week or something. It's like, I'm feeling resistance or what is this right now? And so mm. I think our relationship is a practice. Like we're always in the experience. I'm definitely not trying to say we do things perfect because we're for sure messy humans. But what I am trying to say is we're very hungry and very consistent in our practice mm -hmm. around paying attention and engaging with what is going on energetically. And um, one more thought, I know we're going on a long winded <laughs> speech here, but uh, I just wanted to clarify too, for listeners that being connected to unconditional love doesn't mean that you're in a PC uh, state all the time, that you're in this sort of meditative I'm only happy and you can dish me shit and I'll just eat it and be happy and okay with that. <laughs> because what we find with what we guide people through is using your intuition for what does unconditional love really say in this one moment. And sometimes unconditional love can be fierce. Sometimes unconditional love can be, Hey, I got to leave this relationship. If you're dealing with an addict, sometimes unconditional love can be really setting a boundary. And so I think that there's this idea within spiritual communities that being a spiritually evolved person or being connected spiritually means that you are never irritated or angry or sad. But I think unconditional love has all of those emotions. I would absolutely say that some of the strongest moments of Adam showing me love were when he was really angry at my ego mm. and showing me kind of not letting my ego be running the ship and the ego wanted to run the ship because of previous understandings of what love was my limited idea of what love was. Like, I remember in the beginning, we were very much like two instruments being tuned to the same key. And we kept having these energetic experiences, but also emotional showdowns of kind of like <laughs> who's like ego power stuff that would be coming out and what the love was revealing. Yeah. Or... And it was really scary because anywhere in previous relationships that I felt special or some kind of power was really being revealed as not love. And my ego did not enjoy that experience. And Adam and I would say and egoically I, special. Yeah. Egoically. Yeah. Egoically special. But that's mm -hmm. all I understood love to be before that. And so I remember one night we had like seven hour showdown where Adam was like, <laughs> 
you are not getting in this bed until you, I was like basically having like a temper tantrum and pouting about something. And, and I was so stubborn and he was stubborn in an honest way where it was his soul being like, we're not going to allow this to persist and dominate within our relationship. And it was coming from love. And that's how, Mm. you know, it's not a power trip. He wasn't trying to dominate me like an alpha. He wasn't like doing some kind of like abusive attraction technique that you see sometimes in those tv shows like nagger three times so you can get laid like i don't know if you know the shows i'm talking about but there's like techniques <laughs> people have that's like literally like hurt someone's ego so you get what you want and that's obviously coming out of fear and control but it was confusing because the things he was saying could have on paper looked like things i would have associated with previous relationships as like controlling statements mm-hmm. but the energy was not coming from control. It was coming from an invitation to be seen more fully and transparently, which was like truly terrifying at the time. And then I feel like it's just been a supportive experience of like, it's safe to love at this level and to be held and met there. So it's gotten my ego less, you know, terrified of that process. But, and then the fourth spiritual relationship is the soul to soul relationship. So that is, Mm -hmm. what is the meaning and purpose of being in each other's lives. What are you learning on a soul level from that person? And it's such a beautiful relationship to be in contact with because a lot of times things will seem pointless or meaningless or just purposefully like annoying. Something will come up that's just disappointing and the ego will interpret it as just like stupid. (laughs) And then you'll check in with soul and it'll be like, oh, look what you're learning right now on a soul level. This is a spiritual opportunity. And it really changes things to kind of give us new fresh eyes and also rejuvenated energy to show up spiritually. Mm. I love listening to you too. You complement each other really well. You know, I love your two perspectives. You know, we have a list of the therapist talking about moving from the beta to the theta state. And then Adam, the yoga teacher talking about being consciously aligned with unconditional yeah. love. Yes. Yeah. So we have the four spiritual relationships. We have ego to ego, my own ego to my own soul, my ego to their soul, and then soul to soul. And is the basic idea we're looking for that soul to soul or just noticing all the dynamics and relationships at play and trying to foster connection between all of them? It's it's really about fostering all of them because it's not that one is more important. They're all crucial because like if you don't have the ego to ego functioning well, the soul to soul relationship won't even really happen. <laughs> you know, I, I've definitely talked to people where they can feel the soul potential in another, but if the human ego isn't showing up mm. um, to be available for it, like let's say their, their attachment issues are so triggered, like they keep withdrawing and running like a runner chaser dynamic or something. Even if the, the, there's some beautiful soul potential, it's the human ego to ego, which kind of births that potential into the world. Mm-hmm. So it, it is kind of a, a fluid paying attention and kind of learning. It's like this thing you do with your kid, you pat your head and rub your stomach at the same time. It's mm. starting to be aware of our multidimensionality. So we're not just overly focused on one of those. There's also people, spiritual bypassers that might be totally focused on soul to soul, but need some work on whatever ego, ego to your soul or ego to ego. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that are so like trapped in like materialism and literalness that they can't fathom the idea of anything else is just insane. And people will even get cynical and angry about the suggestion 
that more is available or possible because they've really learned to shut off that holy longing Mm. from previous disappointments. So I love everything that you're saying. And I'm curious what your advice is um, or guidance is for someone who's not in an intimate relationship. I feel like so far we've been applying uh, holy love and unconditional love to being in partnership when we talk about ego to ego, for example. And can a single person, we'll just say, uh, experience holy love? Absolutely. Absolutely. Elise's first book is called Meet Your Soul which is all that second relationship we talked about, that ego to your soul relationship. So we, we work with couples and we work with individuals. And the, the techniques in this book you can use uh, with intimate relationships, but you can also use with your children and strangers and your parents and anybody. So I but think some of the most striking examples I've seen of holy love have been with like monks or nuns, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're in deep relationship, but it might not be with a human partner, mm. but they are deep within the energy and transformation and being open. And love is a crucible to transform in their relationship with the divine. And it's very awake and alive and beautiful, Mm. um, like breathtaking. And everybody's different, you know? So I think often when you start talking about spiritual relationships, there's this, this people often go to the topic of how do you manifest your soulmate or even a, a jealousy or a sadness of like, why don't I have that? And so where we really encourage people to start, if you're in that place is through dialoguing with your own soul, because Mm. everybody's unique. I can't say one message or rule that's going to apply to all those single people out there. Because if you really get honest with yourself and start dialoguing with your soul, your soul may say, right now you are learning your own sovereignty and you have another two years of this before you're going to enter into a relationship. Or your soul might say, uh, you're ready to start putting yourself out there and you know, you, you should go to these type of places to, um, meet that person in your life, but it is not a necessity for spiritual fulfillment or connection to holy love. Mm. And everybody has their own unique path with it. And talking to your soul is talking to love. It's another, it's saying the same thing. So it's kind of like, if you're feeling like something's missing, it's kind of the first question is love. What do you want me to know about this feeling? what's going on there. It does come with an inherent trust. It's like Einstein's. We can assume everything is purposeless or purposeful. It's one of the most important decisions we'll make. Mm. It's like, is this, is there any meaning to this universe or is this just a chaotic purposeless existence of hell? And either are possible, whether we're in the egoic story purely, or if we're connecting in to the real energy of hum of love that's behind all creation. So I think our method comes with a assumption of love Mm. and a trust in the soul journey, whether you're single or partnered, or you just experienced like Adam's going to die one day, I'm going to die one day. We're going to have a moment of needing to reorient, to find the eternity in our love and souls when the physical is not still present. Mm. Um, I actually have trauma around that from past life stuff that when we're having sex, I can feel the part of me that wants to cry because I'm already in the moment when we might be separated in the physical again, Mm. when I'm overwhelmed by the love of our connection, I immediately can fear my egoic terror of us 
being separated on some mm-hmm. level somehow because it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's an inevitable reality. So being conscious with that experience and then like talking to my soul, what do you love want to know me right now about like how I'm feeling this feeling, how I navigate this feeling, how I open and expand through this feeling. Mm. So that's really about orientation and orientation happens now. It doesn't (laughs) happen when you are with a partner. It doesn't happen when you're, you know, get what you want or don't get what you want in life. Orientation happens in this present moment. Mm. So in this present moment, are you able to trust that your life is on purpose and then open up to the potential love of what's happening and what your lessons are right now. I also truly believe that we couldn't have met energetically. It wasn't time until I had done what I needed was 15 years of deep inner work around my old kind of like Jungian experience, but also soul journaling myself, doing a lot of mm-hmm. active imagination with my higher self because the level of spiritual boot camp that this relationship requires and demands upon us, I had to already have that muscle really established within myself. So I really also believe if somebody's single, looking for love and you're really wanting that the strongest way to move forward is to really get to know your soul Mm. so that you are getting that comfort and guidance and wisdom to encompass. Yeah. Mm. I really love all that. And as we're winding down, I'm getting drawn to this deeply spiritual question around who are we really and who are we truly? Because I thought it was interesting, Adam, a long time ago, seems like so long ago, when you mentioned <laughs> you have an ego and you have a soul, right? And most people think they are their ego. And then they're like, oh, actually, I'm a soul. But you mentioned you have a soul. So I'm wondering, what is this quality of having? And I'm curious if this ties any bit into something that you say in your book, that relationships serve as a training not to find love with another person but to become love right well i the have words interesting because the ego statement would be i have a soul but really what it is right is like we are a soul but we're also experiencing ourselves through the funnel of the egoic interpretation i remember once with sophia my journal i was debating if she was a real explain what that name means oh sophia is the name for my soul so one of our practices we do is we have people personify their soul. So if you give a name to your soul uh, and that name just has to symbolize unconditional love and then you can mm. create a dialogue the between these two parts of The ego needs a form to even have somewhat of a more intimate relationship, especially in the beginning. So it's kind of like, even personify sounds kind of like, it's a fake thing that we're pretending to be real, but it's more of like giving it, name to the symbol, Uh, a way to find Mm -hmm. it, a way to pull it in energetically again. And Sophia once told me in my journal, um, when I said, I I don't know, am I just making you up? And she said, I'm making you up (laughs) down to all the cells in your body. Mm. Right. So that's kind of a good example of I, Elise is like, I have a soul. And Sophia is like, you're, that's cute, right? Like you're experiencing (laughs) your interpretation of you having me, but really you're a smaller portion Mm, mm -hmm. of the universe of love of which you came from and you're going back to. Mm. Thank you so much for that distinction. So what does this mean to become love? Becoming love is about alignment. And I can't really stress how important it is to me that people assess what is their unique version of love 
because Mm. as soon as we get into the shoulds of what should love say, how should love act, as long as we place any rules on what love should be, then we can become disconnected from what it really is. So becoming love to me is aligning with that part in yourself, that internal core part, that essence that just knows what to do and what to say and how to step forth. And so it's embodying that. And so every time we touch into our soul, every time we look towards our soul for wisdom, our soul dialoguing, we're getting advice and navigation on how to take practical, real steps. And this is not a far out concept. I use this for things as simple as should I go for a walk today? Or what should I say to this person? Or how should I navigate this conflict? So it can be very, very practical. Mm -hmm. But every time we make a decision and are an action from our soul, we are embodying our unique flavor of love. And then it starts becoming almost not even a choice anymore because it's just naturally who we are and naturally who we are is love. That's what I saw from my life review is that really the point of all these lifetimes, what we're learning to do is to Jung might say individuate, but if we're talking about it more religiously, it's almost Christ as a title, like Christing. So it's incarnating love mm. to the highest degree possible that we can in every lifetime, which is by making consistent choices from love versus fear and being aware of that. But so that's the practice, right? And it's not about shaming or we're wrong or did something bad if we don't. It's just then like looking like, where's the fear? I think when we've had meetings with big spiritual entities that have shown up for us, what's interesting in their energy field as even a spirit is the conscious transformation of the history, the accumulation of all their lifetimes as an energy kind of imprint or as a, it's like a, it's like a, I don't even know how to explain it. Like a, the image I'm getting is like a blueprint that is their energy, the blueprint Mm -hmm. of their energy, but that has a history within it. When you start to psychically intuitively feel into the work they've done and what the spiritual work is, is paying attention to, am I looking at love or looking at fear? So it's just, I mean, it's so cliche, right? It's like choose love over fear. Like, but, but I think we really wrestle with and like to really talk about like, what does that mean? moment to moment, because that's easy to talk about as a cliche, but what does that look like as an ongoing practice? And that is, I think our spiritual destiny and also kind of what we're doing is we're becoming our sainted selves. Mm. That's what all these lifetimes are about is becoming our version in, in the Christian mythos of like the Christ archetype. So how are we incarnating? What's your version? What's my version? What's Adam's version of the Christ archetype? Because they're not all the same, but they're all equally important and beautiful and listening to, it's like, instead of what would Jesus do? I feel like Jesus as an archetype or entity would be like, no, that's more like, I want you to do what I did, which is ask, what would your soul's version of that be? Instead of just like handing off the job to another energy or entity that already did it. Hmm. And no, that's like maybe a really if we just opposite five octaves there at the end. That's why we save it for the end. I appreciate it. I very much appreciate it. I just have to say, wow. And thanks so much. 
I and all of our listeners have so much to think about. Both of you are just a fountain of knowledge. There's a clear eloquence and precision in your language. And it's clear both of you are coming not only from a huge body of knowledge that you have studied, but also direct personal soul experience. And as we're winding down, we're already way over time. So as we're winding down, I have to ask you both the same question I ask all of my guests and we'll do one at a time. So let's do Elisa first. What do you wish everyone knew about love? It's funny because I literally got teary when you said that question. I, <laughs> I uh, wear my heart on my sleeve. And this is my kind of gift and curse is like, even as we're talking, I mean, because of what's happened to me, I'm always really aware of where our egos are and where the soul energy is. And even when I look at you, I just see so much love and so much beauty in your soul and your heart. And so when I feel into the energy of this audience of who will be here, who's contracted to listen to it, I, I literally want to start crying mm. <laughs> when you ask me that because it's like a real thing for me. It's like a physical experience of like almost like overwhelmed by how beautiful we are as souls and how close it's like so close but sometimes it can feel like so we live in Seattle where we rarely see the sun in the winter and in the winter you start to be like does the sun even exist anymore like I haven't <laughs> seen the sun in 45 days and then in the spring there it is and guess what it's been there the whole time behind the clouds and I think that's what I want people to know about love is even if you're feeling really like disconnected or it's not happened for you or you're missing something like it's as close as your next breath it's mm. like, it's just about that intention to connect with that part of yourself. And that puts out the prayer and paves the way energetically for like really beautiful miracles to be met and, and happen. Yeah. Love is as close as your next breath. I love that. Adam, that's going to be hard to top. <laughs> I know. I know. So, what do, what you do I wish, say after that? <laughs> what do you wish everyone knew about love? Yeah, I would say that you may feel after this interview like there was a lot of information <laughs> and that you may be reeling with concepts, but to know that when it's all boiled down, it really is not complicated. And we say that intuition is not a magical skill and, not, and only for the few. But intuition is really just the courage to know what you already know. Mm. So I would say to the audience, that's what it's about. And you know, you actually know how to do this work. And it's just a subtle shift and a subtle reframe. But you are the captain of your ship and you know how to follow love. And mm. you're built to evolve. You're, it's our destiny. Mm. So wonderful. Elisa Romeo and Adam Foley, your new book is Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships. Your podcast is Holy and Human. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? Everything's available on our website, holyandhuman.com. Uh, that's also the name of our podcast. You can find it on all a podcast platforms. 
And the book is available at all book, dis, you know, dis, Anywhere dispensaries. Vending machines. Get it with your marijuana dispensary. You might need that for your human integration. No, I think um, it's a local book. We have guided meditations as well on our website so that people like those because we just kind of hold your hand and walk you through some of these meditations. So we worked on a fast schedule to get this book's pub date to be Valentine's Day because oh, we thought that was a good a good energy. Mm, that is a wonderful energy. And you too both have a wonderful energy. So I very appreciate you coming on. I very appreciate your simultaneously <laughs> super far out, super holy, super <laughs> unconditional past lives, wisdom, but grounded and super grounded in our real lived human experience. So you are walking the walk as you talk this talk. And I really appreciate you taking time, both of you out of your busy days to come on to the show. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember all of this wonderful, incredible knowledge that we have talked about today, but never forget that love is as close as your next breath. And intuition is not a magical skill but it is courage to know what you already know. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Alyssa and Adam. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 